Welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Heather Malarick of Merrick Law. I'm joined by my co-host, Evan Clark of Kahane Law. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing good. Um, if you didn't know, uh, listener, this is part two of a two-part series with our guest, Harold Geller. So uh, if you haven't listened to the first part, you should stop right now and go listen to it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And make sure to follow and like the podcast so you can catch future and past episodes as well. We've covered a lot of different topics. Uh, we've got Kim McDonald here as well of McDonald Advisory. Kim is a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. So hi, Kim. How are you doing? Hello, Heather. Hello, Evan. Well, this is uh, always super fun. Uh, everybody knows I like the financial episodes and uh, now we're doing like two episodes at, at once kind of thing. So uh, this is great. I'm all ears. Uh, I, our guest has a lot to tell people and the more people know, the better decisions they're going to make. So I'll quit chatting and let you guys bring in our guest. Yep. Thanks, Kim. Without further ado, we'd like to welcome back Harold Geller of Geller Law. How are you doing, Harold? Fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for coming back to uh, have a part two of our conversation about financial advisors, planners. Um, I think what we're hoping to go with today's conversation, if you'll help us out, is we talked in our first episode of what to look for when you're looking for a financial advisor or planner and what they might do for you. I think we're hoping to find out a little bit about what if things go wrong and maybe some things you could do to prevent things from going wrong. Um, I understand that's kind of what you do for work for the most part. So um, where should we start with that topic? Is there a good place to start? Well, um, I, I think there is a good uh, place to start, which is uh, people, um, when they're looking at their finances, um, they tend to look away. And we talked about that in the last episode, but it's an important topic. When you're looking at your financial statements with your financial advisor and you're getting reports, there is a tendency not to look at the details, maybe look at the bottom line. Are you up or down in a month? Are you up and down over a few months? And leave it at that. Um, you should look at what you have in your portfolio. You should look at whether you recognize the names. It, not just because your financial advisor may have mentioned it to you, but are they well-known companies with long-standing reputations that are have uh, a reputation for good products, that they have a unique spot in their industries, and uh, that um, um, uh, uh, are uh, somewhat predictable. So, you know, I, I, not to say that these are the, the best things out there, but bank stocks, the big banks, insurance companies, um, uh, product companies like Shoppers Drug or Loblaws. Um, uh, there are major oil companies. Those are the types of things which should be the bedrock of your uh, portfolio, of your uh, different investments in your um, account. And if there are a whole bunch of things that uh, you haven't heard before, you don't know what they are, or they're the flavor of the week, the Zoom of the COVID period or some other momentum where they're in the news a whole lot because they're going to be the next best thing. Well, those are usually big gambles. And for most of us, 
we shouldn't be taking those gambles. We don't know enough and our financial advisors don't enough to recommend what's good for us and what's not. So um, uh, the first thing you should have is a good look at what you have in your account and make sure that you understand why they have a natural advantage in the marketplace and thus why they're good for your account. I think that's something that I was thinking about um, in episode one that we did with you with that, that match of understanding and risk tolerance. <laughs> um, I know that, you know, I think most people have been asked about that when they go to the bank or to do some financial planning, but I don't know that most people understand what they need to know to say whether they have a high or a low risk tolerance. And that really was driven home, I think, in, in our previous conversation. Well, it's, I think it's been driven home to a lot of people over the last uh, four years. And uh, uh, so there are a few industry terms which are pretty loaded. So uh, investment in knowledge, investment experience, investment objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon. Those are some of the key ones. And everyone who opens an account at a, uh, an investment account uh, likely will sign a form where the advisor has put in some information on those five terms. Um, well, the responsibility for assessing those uh, are purely on the financial advisor and uh, the, his uh, or her uh, firm. It is not on the consumer, but the consumer uh, should be looking for certain things. So um, investment experience. Look, if you've been working with an advisor and just doing whatever they recommend, chances are your investment experience is limited and your investment knowledge is low. You're not average, you're low, <laughs> okay? And that might be true of most Canadians that they are relatively low knowledge, uh -huh. but it's true. Um, and we shouldn't be embarrassed by that. In fact, if it's on your form, it protects you in some ways because they have to be more careful with you as an investor. Um, another uh, term is investment objective. What, when will you need this money? probably is a number of times. So depending on your age and stage, earlier you are, younger you are, the more different times you're going to need access to money. If you're a young couple, you might not have bought a house. You might need money access for your down payment. If you're a young couple, you might have daycare or you might have um, your kid's education. As you grow older and you uh, save more money, you're going to have different objectives. It might be planning for trips or retirement or in case one of you loses a job or you want to start your own business. There are a whole bunch of stages. Investment objectives is a complex concept and changes over time. One you brought up is a good one, Heather. Risk tolerance. So, Usually risk tolerance is, uh, is a failed investigation by the investment advisor. They might have a form where they ask you 10 questions, add up your score and give you a risk tolerance. That doesn't work. It's got no scientific value to it. It's a piece of paper to cover the advisor's um, position. It's not to really find out about you. 
a risk tolerance questionnaire is a very complex matter. Not the, you, your answers are so complex, but the design of it is quite complex. Why? Because you should be, the advisor should be catching out all of our misaligned goals, objectives, and values, because we all have them. So a good example is, what do you want by way of returns? Well, you probably want, if you really break it down, you want to beat inflation and for your money to grow a little bit with very limited risk of loss. Um, at your early stages, you can take a little bit more volatility, which means the up and down movement in your account. But as you approach one of those milestones, like your kid needing money for an education or you're starting pulling money out for uh, your retirement, you actually need less volatility because you don't want to be one of those people who buys high, sells low. You need the money. You have to go sell. Well, you shouldn't be in a position where you're selling low. And that is part of risk tolerance. That's a, an example of it. So what performance, what you want by way of performance of your, uh, your uh, money? If you really break it down, you want to beat inflation with a little bit of growth for the risk. Um, uh, what you're really concerned about, likely, is your risk of loss, permanent loss. And that we've seen with a lot of clients over the last period where they were really excited about making some money when things were good. And no one talked to them about the downside risk of losing 10% of their portfolio. Well, that's sort of the market right now. 20%. We have clients who lost 50 and 70% of their portfolio and had no idea that that was the extent of the risk. On the flip side of that, Harold, are, are do you believe that there's people out there who want to take on the risk when things are going well, but uh, get temporary amnesia when things are not going well? Absolutely. And a financial advisor should not be the guarantor of those results. The financial advisor should be having that hard conversation with the client right. about what it means what risk means, what risk of loss means, what risk of volatility, if you've got a milestone event and you need some cash, what that means. And if we're talking to financial advisors, they better keep records of those discussions. They better confirm it in writing to their clients. A client is allowed to go to a casino. A, 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 the stock market can be a casino, but the financial advisor should not allow that without due process and clear, plain language warning. It is not good enough to rely upon legalese in some document on page 18. It should be in plain language, say in an email to the client, you want to buy Zoom. You want to buy an oil uh, holding. You want to buy whatever it is. This is a volatile. This is an uncertain. This is a growth. That means we expect that there will be significant risk. Are you prepared to lose 20%, 30%? What is your risk tolerance? How much of this money and what time frame are you prepared to lose? Financial advisors have to have those conversations and they have to record it and they have to confirm it back to the client. Otherwise, 
Frankly, they just became the insurer. They're bearing the risk because the client may not recall or may not have understood what they were instructing. But if the client is informed of all those things and wants to gamble, that's their choice. They're permitted to do so. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I think of the uh, same concept of like giving legal advice, right? I often say, you know, uh, grown adults with capacity are entitled to make bad deals and sign off on bad deals. As long as you know what the risks and rewards are and you can reflect back to me why you're making that decision and that you understand the risks that are, you know, what you're giving up and what the risks are, then you can do that. Um, and it sounds like that's same kind of standard or, uh, you know, some kind of, um, what am I thinking? Logic that, that goes here. Well, I, I, I agree on that. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think of it in the legal, uh, lawyers, uh, one of the most clear examples of that is, is states and wills. And, um, uh, those lawyers have learned the hard way that they really have to uh, make sure that they use plain language when speaking with their clients, get clear instructions, check the capacity of the client. Okay, that's the, the, uh, the um, mental capacity at the time of giving instructions, at the time of taking instructions, at the time of the will. And that's something which for, um, I mean, those of us who have grandparents and elderly parents, um, we all know that they can be very sharp at times, um, but that their uh, cognition changes over time, sometimes because of fatigue or medication, stress in their lives. And financial advisors have to be very careful, as do lawyers, with um, making sure that the client is in a good mental position for make for giving instructions when they're making decisions. Um, a recent evolution in the securities field is called a trusted contact person. And the idea is it's different from power attorney. Power attorney steps in when a person can't make the decisions or doesn't want to make decisions and hands it over to a power of attorney. It's a legal document. A trusted contact person is really an opportunity um, that we all should take advantage of. We should all have trusted contact persons lodged with our uh, financial advisors. And so that if we do something that doesn't make sense, we're not being consistent with our past decisions. The financial advisor can take a timeout, call your trusted person and find out if there's anything amiss going on. And I think of my parents who were incredibly sophisticated. My mom was president of Ontario Red Cross in her day. And my dad was chair of the Ontario Securities Commission, incredibly sophisticated in their day. But in their elderly years, they had the grandparents scheme and they were on their way to credit union, sorry, to Western Union to send money to bail their grandchild out in a Montreal uh, a police station. Their grandchild was not in a Montreal police station. Oh, it was no. a scam. But somebody stopped them, said, time out. We're going to call your kids. And we got on the internet, found that it was a fraud. So it's an important concept. But when we're talking about financial advisors and what you should be looking for, um, you know, if you're uh, suffering losses that are not within your capacity to, 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 to live your life, if it's too much, then you should be asking questions. And if the, your advisor just says, it's the market, then have you lost more than the market? 
Should you have been in risk for the market? Did you have a cash wedge? Are you okay so you don't have to sell at the low? Or do you have a margin account? Because that's a high risk. Uh, have they explained to you how volatile the market can be and that they can't pick the winners? All they can do is follow a process. If they haven't had those discussions with you and you've got losses, then Get a second opinion. Start with a financial advisor. Go to somebody with good credentials, RFP, CFP, STEP, uh, CLU. I'm sorry, it's an alphabet soup, as I said in the last <laughs> session, of, of designations. Look up the designations. Find out if they're not just best interest, but somebody who owes you a duty of loyalty to put your interest first on in all occasions, a duty of utmost good faith, like a fiduciary. And that's what it really means. Um, uh, uh, choose somebody who's got those qualifications and follow a process. It's something we talked about last session. But if your advisor didn't follow a process with you and all of a sudden you're suffering losses, you should be asking, what did I pay for? Why is this happening? Did they do their job? Can I go back through my records and find out that they told me about the risk, the very risk that I'm experiencing? Okay. So, I mean, I guess as a consumer, I'm hearing that you know, really pay attention to these initial discussions. I think often people are excited to, oh, this, you know, we'll make a lot of money together and it's going to be great. But you, you need to turn your ears on to and listen to that risk side because a good advisor is going to tell you about that. But you need to remember it and internalize that because... Yeah, we've seen like they're not in control of the market um, and things have not been great the last couple of years if you've got money invested, generally speaking. So that's an important piece. Yeah. I and guess. you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, can I tolerate this loss? Not the upside. Stop thinking about the upside. Mm -hmm. What you should evaluate is can you tolerate the risk? Mm -hmm. um, so a suggestion. Try and keep records. I know how difficult that is. It's difficult for all of us. But write down in advance before meeting with your financial advisor what you want to cover, what you should tell them about the changes in your life, what you're worried about with respect to money, what your hopes are with respect to money. Keep those records. Put it in a file folder just every time. Every time you get a call from them, every time you have a Zoom meeting with them, take some notes at the time, after you do, after you're finished, just sit down and look at that piece of paper and say, what was my experience? What did I learn? What did I decide? Um, those records are something to hold yourself to, to something to compare what happened to what your how it impacts on you. If your financial advisor warned you about these risks and you turned away and you decide to gamble, that's your risk. But if they didn't tell you and you lost, that's theirs. Okay. So I, I think you've just answered my next question, which is what do you do if things go wrong or you feel like your, your um, advisor didn't inform you or you weren't aware of what you were getting yourself into? Are there, are there things that you can do? Yes. Well, first of all, I'd go to an independent person, somebody who is not at all associated with that bank or dealer and not that advisor. Um, I've seen referrals to friends of the advisor for a second opinion always in a lawsuit, mm. not a good indication, mm. um, not, a, not an objective view. 
Um, uh, so seek a second opinion, find out what w- would have been done for you. And remember that there's an element of, well, we can all look backwards and say what we should have done, but look at the process. What's the process of being, uh, you're being asked about? Was that done for you in the past? Um, uh, and also, um, do some education. You can look at the Ontario Securities uh, 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 website. You can look at the BC, Alberta. They all have some really good information. Um, uh, and then um, you can also look at my site. I've got some information on it. Um, but uh, consider whether or not you felt that your advisor talked to you about the process, followed a process, and if not, then reach out Um, because uh, the only way of really evaluating these things is first of all, to get all the records and then to see what went on. Um, Let me just explain my process for a little, for a moment and give you one of my pet peeves. If a client goes to a financial advisor and asks for their records, the financial advisor is under no legal obligation to give you anything other than what they choose to give you. If you ask the dealer uh, for your records, they're in the same position. Not very good. Not very good protections. But if you jump through a hoop, I hate that this is required. But if you jump through the hoop and reference in Alberta, it's PIPA, the Personal Information Protection uh, Act. In, um, uh, in many provinces, it's PAPITA, same con- concept. It's privacy legislation. And if you say, I'm exercising my right under this legislation, and I want a copy of all documents containing my personal information, then they have no choice but within 60 days to give you everything that uh, they have on you up to the point of litigation, a lawsuit. So um, now that you've got the raw data to concern to consider what went on. And in such a heavily regulated industry, what the consumer has seen through the daily uh, machinations of getting advice is a tip of the iceberg. What you're going to get by exercising these rights is also what's below the waterline, what you never saw. It's amazing how often in these um, problem accounts, ones we see that are problems, um, the account has been restricted at some point because the know your client form, so that risk tolerance, time horizon, whatever, had not been consistent with the holdings, but you were never told. Instead, what happened was you were asked to sign a new form that agreed that you were going to take more risk. Your circumstances hadn't changed. The advisor's circumstances had changed. They had a problem. Their account, to your credit, had been frozen and they couldn't do anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's why they asked you to change these forms. Um, Get the forms, look at the information and take it to another financial advisor who's got the skills and ability to take a look and say whether you were done right or whether there's some red flags in the file. If they're red flags, then you may need to reach out to someone like me. They, they also might have a conflict of interest, though, too, at, at, on the same side, right? They would want to get that account. So they will uh, be very heavily interested in saying that the other advisor didn't do things right. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's a tricky thing, right? Like, you know, the, another- uh, 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 you're, you're right, Kim. You have to be alert that there is, that, and your, your, your advisor should be disclosing their conflict of interest. Every advisor is in a conflict of interest. Every lawyer is in a conflict of interest. Whether I'm paid on results, contingency retainers, or I'm paid an hourly fee, 
I have a conflict of interest with my client because I'm being paid to do certain things. Mm -hmm. I may be, you could say on an hourly rate uh, basis, I'm incented to put more hours on your file, whether it's good for you or not. On a contingency, maybe it's the opposite. I'm incented to take a quicker deal because I can put less hours in. As a lawyer, I think it's my duty to talk to you about how I'm getting paid and how that's a conflict of interest and remind you at certain points. I argue and I educate financial advisors that they should be doing the same thing. It's not wrong for a professional to be paid or even paid well for their services. It's right. wrong for you to think that as a consumer that there's no risk associated with how you're paying them. And uh, Kim, you're quite right. You've got to be careful as the uh, consumer. You've got to be careful that if you go to somebody who might sell you a different product, that they may have an interest in getting your account so they can make money by selling your product. Um, so why sometimes going to somebody only for the advice, like a financial planner, and not somebody who will sell you product is a good step if you believe there might be something wrong. If you don't believe there's anything wrong, well, then I ask you, why are you switching horses midstream? There's no advantage to it. Um, if you've got a long relationship with somebody who's been trusted and you have no reason to believe they've done anything but their job for you. Uh -huh. Okay. Now, if you're going to complain about what happened, please understand that there's a switch in what happens. And the dealer, that's what we call the financial company, is incented to get rid of your claim, to seem like they're paying attention to you, but to really run you through a series of uh, hoops so because people, every hoop, they shy away. Less and less people go forward. So a complaint to a dealer is a very sophisticated step. It's a risky step. They will try and get you to say how you were at fault. And people have a tendency, especially Canadians, to say, well, I should have known more. I should have uh, stopped this earlier. I should have said something. No, you're in a professional relationship. That's your advisor's duty. Hire a lawyer who knows about something about the area before you go through those process. If you think there's something wrong, get professional advice. The other side's going to have professional advice. You know, it's like the old expression, are you going into a gunfight with a knife? Don't do it. Uh -huh. Get good, skilled people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Huh. I, unfortunately, would love to talk more, but I uh, have to, to run. I'm available if, you, if any of the advisors or lawyers listening to this broadcast have questions about how, whether their clients have been well served, please feel free to reach out to me. I talk to people all the time without getting the clock running. Um, there's no bills unless I've entered into a written retainer. Um, take a look at the available information. Um, I'll have a complaints brochure up shortly uh, to help people work through the process. And um, uh, look, uh, uh, as the commercial says on radio, take care of yourself. Take care of your finances. Pay attention to them. It's a pain, but it's your future. It's your future. You should take the interest. You should take care.
Harold, I, I, I didn't know if you were going to be able to just knock it out of the park like you just did in such a short period of time, but, uh, I learned a lot from this experience because who knows what to do when, when things start going wrong, they feel trapped right in the relationship they're in. Yeah. So, thank you so much. We're mindful of your time. We know you've got to run, but we really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. Let me close by, uh, by really complimenting you three on your education to the public. I've watched a number of your podcasts. I recommend them highly um, to your listeners and to for them to share. There are so many important, complex concepts that you've broken down and made accessible. Congratulations. Keep it up. Thanks, Harold. Uh, thanks so much, Harold. We're so glad to add you to our our guest list that's, that's continued the trend. So thanks so much. Um, we'll post Harold's website along with the episode. So thank you so much. Thank you. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFP, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the Dales dissipates, declines.